Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Out of Context, and this series was sort of birthed out of this idea as we're starting to talk a little bit more around here about what our mission is and how we're supposed to be doing that and, and, and what it requires. And so part of our mission statement here at IPC is to be people that introduce people to Jesus uh, and to uh, deepen our faith. Those are sort of those two main parts. And we've noticed that whether or not you're introducing somebody to Jesus, you're telling them about Jesus for the very first time, or you're introducing them to, to Jesus through your actions, which is maybe something we're going to touch on a little bit more this morning, uh, or you're trying to deepen your own faith, both of those things require and are helped by a good working practical knowledge of Scripture. And so, uh, with this series was kind of helping us because we know that sometimes Scripture is used to really, really help us, but often it can be taken a little bit out of context. It can be misused either accidentally or intentionally. And when that happens, it's not actually helpful at all. It's really harmful both for deepening of our faith and for expressing our faith to others. And so that is sort of what we've been on the path to do. I mentioned this last week. I've been using this book for some parts of the series as a resource. It's by Adam Hamilton. It's called Half-Truths, God Helps Those Who Help Themselves and Other Things the Bible Doesn't Say. Uh, there's five or six chapters in here. They're all really great. Some of them we've covered in this series. Some of them we won't. If you have a small group or you're meeting with people or you're looking for a devotion through the summer, Maybe not a bad book to pick up and give it a try to challenge your thought and to learn something new in the process. Now, this morning's is maybe the furthest out of context yet, because as we searched for a biblical context for this concept, there wasn't really one. <laughs> There's... There's this phrase, and it exists within the way that we talk and the things that we say and the way that we act, but actually, it's really hard for us to link it to Scripture, and that's this phrase, and everybody's probably heard it. The phrase is, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Yeah, most people know it, love the sinner, hate the sin, and I was having a conversation with somebody after the service last week, and they came up to me, and they said, hey, you know, I've been enjoying this series, it's been fun, but I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with everything that you've said, and so, you know, as when, like, a pastor hears that, your heartbreak goes up, and you're like, oh, okay, and like, like, 17 things go through your mind, and you're like, was I a heretic, was I offensive, did I say something wrong, did I mispronounce a name, what's going on, but then the other part of you is genuinely curious, and you start to freak out, but you stand there calmly, and you're like, oh, yeah, tell me about that. And so we're having this conversation, and the conversation, uh, they kind of went, you know, we're having trouble linking sort of the, that thing you were talking about to the biblical context, because the Bible, it says and it means this, but you were talking about this concept over here. And I was trying to figure out the, the nature of this conversation, because I agreed with the person who was talking to me, but it kind of was framed like we were disagreeing, and, and where we both landed in the conversation in the end was, oh my gosh, we were both on the same page because that phrase was taken so far out of context that so many people actually believe it. And that's kind of been the fun part of this series. 
And of all of the things that have happened in the series, this is maybe the one that's the furthest out. Because love the sinner, hate the sin is really hard to tie to just about anything we find in Scripture. We can twist a couple things to make it kind of sound like that, but it's really actually more difficult than some of the other things that we've gone through. So where does it come from? How did this happen? Well, there's two sort of places that we look to culturally that we see that this phrase, this concept came up. The first one was uh, the fourth century Bishop St. Augustine in South Africa, and he once wrote a letter to this group of nuns um, encouraging them to follow God and to uh, live a pure life and to be celibate. And in that, that letter, he writes, uh, love of mankind and hate sin. Simple little phrase, love mankind and hate sin. That sounds a lot like love the sinner, hate the sin. And that's kind of the furthest back that we can see it. But we also know that uh, Mahatma Gandhi, in his autobiography in 1929, Uh, He wrote this phrase as well, and that phrase is actually in this book, and I'm going to read it. But the interesting thing is, just like a lot of times when we take something out of context, people stop reading after the first part. So in the autobiography, he says, hate the sin, not the sinner. So that's the same concept, it's just reversed. But he continues and says, uh, hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept which, though easy to understand, is rarely practiced, and that is why the poison of hatred spreads in the world. And it's interesting because even here, as he's saying this phrase, which so many people have latched onto, what he's saying too is, hate the sin, love the sinner, but it's really hard to do and most people don't do it, which is a little bit what we're going to talk about this morning. But first, before we get into that, we just need to clearly define at least a little bit for a second what we're talking about when we're talking about sin. I'm not going to do 20 minutes on this or write an exegetical paper or do a big thing. There's a lot more to the conversation than the four sentences that I'm about to give you. I understand that. You understand that. But for some of us that are kind of understanding this concept for the first time in its simplest form, when used in Hebrew and in Greek throughout the Bible, Sin is translated often as either a straying from the path or missing the mark. The way I've always described it to people, the easiest that I've found, is that sin is anything that separates you from God or from others. Right? Sin is anything that separates you from God or from others. Now, that doesn't attach a specific act. We don't have a list which sometimes we like. We like lists of things that leaves it a little bit more open-ended and it's simpler, but it's maybe a little bit more difficult, right? Because anything that separates you from God and others could be anything. And that actually requires a little bit more of us to look on the inside. So when we talk about sin this morning, that's the definition that we're sort of going to work off of. Sin is something that separates us from God and from others. So let's break this phrase down. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Let's try to figure out at least a little bit where this could have biblically been pulled from and used out of context. So let's first talk about 
the sinner, right? Love the sinner. Who is the sinner? Did Jesus talk about the sinner? Actually, often not. Jesus talked about sin. He talked about repentance. He talked about going to God. But very rarely, if ever, did he use the phrase, the sinner. You know who he talked about? He talked about your neighbor. That's who Jesus talked about. He talked about sometimes your enemy, but mostly he talked about your neighbor. And we find this in the greatest commandment. Here we're going to read from Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came to him and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, greater, there is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far from the kingdom. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Uh, In a different part in Scripture where we talk about this, we see that the next story right after is an example. Right? Somebody says, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, of somebody who wasn't a neighbor to many, but was loved by somebody who wasn't really viewed as their neighbor. And as we work through Scripture, this is the framing that Jesus talks about. Jesus doesn't talk about the sinner, although he talks about sin and repentance. Jesus talks about your neighbor. Now, that's different, both just linguistically, they're different words, but also I want you to sit, and I want you to sit on these words for a second as I say them, and what's the emotional response? What's the knee-jerk reaction to these words? Ready? Sinner. Neighbor. Sinner, neighbor, they're different, aren't they? Inside, internally, they're not the same. One (laughs) is a finger pointing, one is an arm around. I don't know what the imagery is in your mind or how you work through those things, but somewhere in your heart, I would imagine that's the difference between those two things. And so when Jesus talked about people that weren't you, and so I'm going to say other people, and by other people I just mean everybody who isn't you, Jesus mostly talked about neighbors because it's important to frame people in a way in which you can view them as neighbors, not as sinners, right? Everybody has a neighbor, But also, and this is a good reminder for all of us, we're all sinners. 
each and every one of us. We've all fallen short. We've all done something, regardless of what it is, that has either separated us from God or separated us from others. Sometimes those others are our neighbors, right? And it's important to make sure we have those distinctions because when we look at somebody as a neighbor, we can channel empathy or understanding. We can find a little bit more grace than we thought that we had. We can get excited and encouraged. We can feel a lot of positive things even in not so positive moments. But if we view somebody as a sinner, well, we're starting from behind, aren't we? We're starting from a place of judgment. We're starting from a place of, I need to be careful. I need to fix. Should I even be here? So right off the bat, this phrase is a little bit problematic. Because the whole concept of love the sinner, although is correct, is framed in such a way where we are positioned from judgment, in a position of judgment from moment one, which is a problem. (laughs) It's really hard to love and to show the love of Jesus from a position of judgment. Okay, so that's the first part. So you're already never going to use this phrase again, but let's keep going anyways. Okay, hate the sin. Now, Jesus regularly hung out with people who we would identify, and biblically they identified as the sinners, right? The adulterers, the the cheaters, the thieves, the people who stole taxes, you know, that kind of thing. But when Jesus talks about sin, most of the time he talks about repentance and forgiveness of sin as opposed to pointing fingers. So we see this in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which again is a quick little story we'll read here out of Luke 18. For some who are confident of their own righteousness, boy, sorry, this isn't in my notes. Uh, Are you ever confident of your own righteousness? Have you ever been that person? I certainly have. I have stood and been like, I am so right right now, you wouldn't even believe how right I am. I am the rightest. Anyways, sorry, sometimes it just jumps out. Oh boy. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. You noticed I stopped at the first part, I didn't want to talk about the second part. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So just for context, in case this is your first time reading through this or something like this, a Pharisee was somebody who would have been viewed culturally as somebody who's very religious, knew the law really well, somebody who would have been viewed as like super holy. And a tax collector would have been universally hated. Nobody liked a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus here is talking about the power of recognition of your own sin and the need for forgiveness. When we talk about loving the sinner and hating the sin, what we do is we isolate the sin out. And then what, we, what do we do? We try to fix it. We try to fix somebody else's or we point at it or we talk about all the reasons that it's good or not good or, or whatever, and all of a sudden it's all the way over here. And it's about somebody else. It's never about us. It's somebody else. It's somebody else. But what Jesus says is when you can identify and ask for forgiveness and realize, have a little bit of self-awareness about what that looks like, you're much closer to me than somebody who just walks around thinking they're doing great all the time. That's different. Now, practically, in our quote in the beginning of of this message got to that. Like it's a really simple message. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. Practically, it's really actually hard to do, especially when framed in that way. It's really hard to look at somebody and go, I love you, but I hate this, 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 and this about you. But I love you. I hate the way you chew your food, but I love you. I hate the way you talk to people, but I love you. I hate your life choices, but I love you. I hate, I hate, I hate about you, but I love you. You see how just those things so quickly turned into, I hate this about you, but I love you too, that I just hate this about you, and I need to change you. I need to fix it. I need to adjust it because I don't like it. It's, it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we all kind of do that. We look at people and go, you know, I know I'm supposed to love you, but this part of you drives me nuts. Let me talk about how it drives me nuts for the next 20 minutes. I love you, trust me, we don't need to talk about that, but let's talk about the other thing. And then very quickly, this little turn of phrase that is used out of context that isn't really something that was taught about at all turns into a judgment moment, turns into a me versus you, turns into an us versus them, and all of a sudden, we are separating ourselves from other people. Uh-oh, now we're sinning too. We don't look at it that way. We look at it as righteousness and justification. We sit and we look at culture and we wonder why we've lost so much ground. Do you know that we're in a place right now when surveyed that lawyers are trusted en masse by the public more than people in like a ministry position like us, right? People in the church used to be one of the most trusted groups of people, but not anymore. Why is that? What happened? Well, partially it's because of how they acted and what they've done, but of course it always has to do with our approach. 
and how we talk to people and how we actually choose to really love people. And little phrases like this, although they sound great, actually put us in a terrible position to show other people about Jesus. So there's a couple of problems that we've got to with this phrase, just kind of dissecting those two parts. But I want to talk about a couple more things just to really drive it home, just to make sure hopefully you don't use it anymore. (laughs) That we can approach people as neighbors instead of sinners. That we can approach people with the love of Jesus instead of the corrections of whatever we think. Here's the big one, the big kind of first one. Um, Three reasons that this sort of phrase is a problem. The first one is this one that, uh, and the other two are really quick, and I'm just going to spend an extra minute on this. It's this thing called um, fundamental attribution error. Does anybody know that? Has anybody taken a psychology course? Yeah, one person, two people. Great. Super. Okay, fundamental attribution error is this. Dictionary definition just says it's a tendency for people to overemphasize dispositional or or, uh, uh, personality-based explanations for behaviors observed in others while underemphasizing situational explanations. Now, that sounds really complicated. I don't know. Okay, so we've got like a bunch of like adults in the room. For the kids in the room, I'm going to slow this one down for a second because if you can figure just this thing out, if you can just figure fundamental attribution error out, it will change the way you treat people for the entire rest of your life. It will change the way that you channel God's love through you to other people. Adults are harder to change. We are older. We can get there, but if you guys can figure this out early. And so this is basically what it means. When somebody else does something, you chalk it up to like their character. But when you do something, you chalk it up to your circumstance. When somebody else does something, you chalk it up to their character. When you do something, you chalk it up to your circumstance. So, for example, you're at work or you're at school and somebody comes in late. Somebody that maybe you particularly don't like anyways. You sit back and you judge them based on character. Well, they don't really care about our team anyways. They must not care about what's going on. They must not care about our success. They're selfish. They're only in it for themselves because they were late. But every time you're late, it's circumstances. Oh, I ran into traffic. There was a crisis at home. I was really tired. I slept in. Sometimes you feel like you have so much character built up that you don't even need to justify the reason that you were late. Do you see how you view those two things differently? You view other people and the things that they do and you attribute it only to their character but not to their circumstance and then you go the total opposite with you. If we can just figure this out, right? This is love the sinner hate the sin. <laughs> That's what it is. It's when you do something wrong, it's your bad character, but when I sin, it's a part of my circumstance. If we can just flip that, we're on a ways to loving our neighbors better. This is, this is one of the big things that we can sort of practically do to move through this in a good way. Here's another problem with this phrase, and we've kind of touched on this. It just creates an us versus you mentality, a me versus you, an us versus them. 
And when we approach people with the love of God and in us versus them, when's the last time you saw that go well? In fact, very rarely did Jesus even approach it that way. He talked about the kingdom and forgiveness and repentance and how important that was, but also very rarely pitted this versus this. He said, this is the way that you should follow and then modeled it. Third reason that this is bad, a phrase like this is bad, it almost always leads to judgment. We kind of got there, right? When you view somebody as a sinner first or you view somebody's sin first as opposed to their neighbor, it just leads to judgment. That's where you start. You don't start with love. You start with figuring out how to fix. Time and time again, story with story, conversations, people that Jesus approached, he always approached them with love as a neighbor first. And then he died for us. And then he said, love others if I have loved you. That's a neighbor mentality. So, three ways that you can love better, that you can take a phrase like this, scrub it, and then say, we're going to do what Jesus has actually asked us to do. The first way is really, honestly, truly just to love your neighbor. To stop looking at people as sinners and to start be looking at people as neighbors. Does that mean we don't identify and know that we are all sinners? No, of course not. But looking at somebody and going, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, puts us behind in our ability to talk and show grace and show the love and understanding of Jesus. And if that has happened to you and somehow you're listening to this, I'm sorry. And I want to tell you that the gospel message of Jesus is one where he wants to come alongside you and put his arm around you not always point a finger. And if you haven't had people around you that have done that well, stick around here. I think you'll find that there's a few people that can help you. The second thing we can do is we can love our enemies. That doesn't mean we're best friends with them, but we can love them still. There's a lot of teaching about that. We're not going to get into that this morning. And the third one, and this is sort of always my pet peeve with people and myself, and it's one of the things that I struggle with. One of the things that we can do is just stay humble and stay self-aware, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin is actually not a very self-aware statement because when somebody says that, they don't identify themselves as a sinner. They identify as other people as that, not themselves. There's a certain amount of self-awareness and humility that comes with teaching the gospel message to other people, and we need a big dose of that sometimes too. The reality is, is that when we love the sin and we hate the sinner, sometimes, most of the time, we just end up hating the person. <laughs> and that's not what we're called to do. That's not who we're called to be, and that's not the model that Jesus gave us either. So, let's take that little out-of-context phrase. Let's scrub it. Let's start up identifying people as our neighbors instead, and let's start loving them as Jesus called us to do it. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to learn and to pray and to sing and to be challenged. And God, I just pray that you would give us what we need to love our neighbors. Sometimes it's different. Sometimes it looks different. Sometimes it feels awful. But God, I just pray that you would Give us the wisdom and the guidance and the patience and the humility that we need in those moments to do that. And forgive us of our sin, too.
Help us to identify that we often separate ourselves from you and need to be pulled back in and pulled close. God, work on our hearts in those moments so that we would live a life that models that of Jesus so that we wouldn't be separating ourselves from you or from others. Amen.